Today we do begin the season of Easter. It's actually sort of the season, it's not really the season after Easter, it's called the Easter season, and this is the second Sunday of Easter because Easter is the first Sunday of Easter. And in the church rhythm and seasons and culture and, and patterns, the season after resurrection is the time, the season after Easter is the time in which we take time to really figure out what's going on with resurrection. What's going on with Jesus in these resurrection reappearances? And, and how do we embrace the power and importance of the events of Jesus' life through continued reflection. So during this season, Jesus does keep showing up. And with each instance, we learn a little bit more about what's going on with Jesus and, and, and what things will be like going forward, even through today. And hopefully, throughout the season of Easter, you, you and, and me, we all become more comforted and accustomed and excited about not just the resurrection, but what the resurrection really, really means for all of us. Because, because everyone likes a good resurrection and redemption story, but the real importance of a resurrection, the real importance of a, of a redemption story, is not just that you get redeemed, it's, it's what happens after you get redeemed. It's, it's what happens after the resurrection, when we become truly transformed. And that's what I think the season of Easter is all about. And this season of Easter, we're going to take everything through the lens of, of generosity. Uh, we're going to look through these stories and see how generosity is at work in them for us and through us. And, 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 and for us so that generosity can, can be alive through us. And I think we see that today as Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in the Gospel of John chapter 20. And we'll read verses 19 through 31. Now when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any sins, they are forgiven them. And if you retain any sins, they are retained. But Thomas, the one who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see the mark of the nails on his hands and, and put my finger in the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, later the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger right here and see my hands. Reach out and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those 
who have not seen me and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a few of you who heard that word generosity might have had a little, like, spidey sense antenna go up. Because in, in adult Sunday school classes for the next few weeks, several of our adult classes are taking on a study in generosity. They're talking about generosity in creation, generosity in salvation, generosity in community, and and a generous inheritance that we receive as children of God. I think that it will be helpful for each class who's going through this series. I believe that everyone who works on it, whether they love it or not, will have the chance to learn and grow in one way or another. Because... We don't always learn just from the things that are successful, but even sometimes we learn from mistakes. In worship, I'm going to go in a little bit different path when it comes to generosity. But some of you might already be thinking, you know what, he's talking about generosity, but really what he wants me to do is give more money to the church. And, and this is not going to be four weeks of begging for money for the church. Um, Though I'm going to get that off the table right now. Hopefully, because you do see how generous God is with us in all manner of ways, we will live more generously, and maybe that will have implications for the way you shape and spend and, and, and give your money. My prayer is that we will be more generous children of God because of the way we look at the stories of Scripture and we see how they highlight God's generosity And the rich well of generosity that is right here with us that oftentimes we miss. But about that giving and that church budget thing, about church finances, you should give generously to support your church. This is your church. It's here for you when you need it. It's a place of worship for any who want to come and worship with us. Every day of the week, there are programs and and ministries that are provided for everyone who is willing to come, and countless people are touched through the ministry of Oxford Baptist Church every week. When you are struggling, this church is here to help. When, When you are stuck in the hospital, people from this church visit you all the time. And... When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that looks like, this church and the ministries of this church are here to go alongside you. And when, when this church serves you, you might get stuff in the mail from it, but it's not one of those letters that says, this is not a bill. It's not an explanation of benefits. It's not an invoice for services rendered. Because the mission and the passion of a church like Oxford Baptist is to walk with you. We are a gathered people who provide a haven for fellowship and worship and discipleship and love. 
We care for each other, and I watch you every week give everything you can to one another. But to help you do that does take money. It takes the staff to help coordinate things. It takes cash to keep buildings up and lights turned on. These, lo- these doors don't get locked and unlocked for free every week. So consider how generous God is with you through the church. Consider how much this church wants to support you in the life that you are living and the difficulties that you go through. And dream about a church that can do all that you can ask or imagine and abundantly more when we all give generously. So give to the church. Like, just do it, okay? Give so that when you read the forecaster, it doesn't just say 75% down there. Because there's nothing else in your life where you're, you're satisfied with just 75%. Give, and I promise you that God will give you more through the church than you could imagine. I believe it. And I believe that Jesus sets a generous example in that all the time. And even still today. And so for the next four weeks, I'm not going to be talking about giving to the church budget under the euphemism of generosity. I'm done talking about giving to the church budget. You should be generous. And you should know that. But I do think there's a way of living generously that we're called to. That Jesus even embodies here, maybe especially embodies here today. And so let's think now also about that. The question that we ask ourselves about this passage today is, how do we see generosity going beyond simple grace in the scripture? Is it possible to see something that's called generosity that reaches even beyond grace? Picture those disciples in that room. They're nervous, they're confused, they're scared. You and I would be too. They're scared because two days ago, their teacher, their best friend, was crucified by a mob of people and religious leaders who seemed bent on taking care of him, but we weren't so sure whether they wanted to take care of the whole bunch of them also. So they decide to keep a low profile. And you can imagine why. They're actually hiding. The door is locked, right? Amid the the fears about whether they would be accused of of stealing a body or doing something else that might get them in big, big trouble. They're behind a locked door when Jesus shows up and says, peace, not grace, but peace be with you. And of course, what's amazing about Jesus and what makes him Jesus and maybe not you and me is the way he responds to these disciples who even on Friday were not showing up, not defending him. Who didn't do very much right in the last few days. 
Think about it. At the Passover meal, Jesus is there and he's sharing a bread and a cup with his disciples, one of whom is going to turn him over to the authorities. Another of whom is going to deny him and the rest of whom we don't, they didn't even do enough to get written about. Well, there is the one that's at the foot of the cross, son, your mother, mother, your son. But, but these guys are not examples of how to stand up for what is right. On Thursday, they're in the garden. They, they fall asleep. On Friday, the crowd turns and, and Peter's denying by a campfire. The disciples are on the fringes. And now it's Sunday evening. And they know something good has happened, but they're not quite sure about it. So they're behind locked doors. And really, it's not unreasonable if Jesus were like a ball coach over like you and me, that maybe he would say, come on, what are you guys doing? I just got resurrected. Let's get on telling the good news. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is not the old ball coach. If Jesus were an entrepreneur like those Silicon Valley types, he would say something like, well, you know, disciples, our mantra is that you fail fast so that you can succeed sooner. And so let's sit around the table here and learn from our mistakes. He would rehash the last four or five days and point out all the places where they made mistakes so that next time they could do it all better. Jesus doesn't do that. If Jesus were living by what some consider to be a bleeding heart liberal ideology, maybe Jesus would have just let them off the hook. Oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, you just go on. Or if Jesus were living by some what, consider, what some consider a, a rough-and-tumble, hardline conservative ideology, he would have kicked his chair back and put his cowboy boots up on the conference table and said, well, you guys got yourself into this mess. It's time for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get yourself out of it. But he doesn't do that either. He somehow manages to exude the right amount of grace to allow the disciples not just to reflect on all that has gone on, but to celebrate in that moment all that is right. And in that way, I don't think Jesus was just grace-filled. I think he was grace-filled to the point of generosity and driven by a generosity of spirit that I think we're all called to have. You see, the mistaken disciples are able to embrace and celebrate even though they don't forget the bad. They realize that, that even in the midst of all the terrible things that had happened, they're not going to be defined anymore by the shortcomings of the last few days. They're not going to be pushed away because of the ways they didn't step up. They're going to be called forward instead. Because no one knows better than them the importance of following Jesus in this time. They can see firsthand the power of devotion. His to them and theirs to Him. And the blessing that comes through resurrection and reconciliation. And those come not in some trade-off transaction of, of sorts. 
But they come because Jesus is able to live and and provide an example of what it means to live with abundant grace to the point of generosity. You see, I think we're pretty okay with the idea and practice of grace happening in us, around us, and through us. We certainly know we need to receive it, and we know we need to give it. We need to forgive one another. We know that mistakes will be made, but we hope that they're not made against us. But we also know that there are times when we must forgive those who make mistakes against us. And we might not be that good at forgetting. And we may always walk with the scars that others have inflicted on us. But we know that that we've received grace, so we must find ways to extend that grace also. And to me, generosity is like extending that grace beyond just the idea of a transaction that results in some sort of forgiveness and atonement. Generosity is more than just an exchange. It's, It's an embodiment of doing what is right because we're supposed to, but beyond that, realizing that generosity is us participating in God's abundant life right now and not having to wait till heaven to experience it. Not having to wait till heaven to help free ourselves and one another from the difficulties of the world because by the way we live and care for one another, we can exude a deep generosity of spirit even in the midst of difficulties. We can experience and provide what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, a part of the fullness of God's love, right here and now on earth as it is in heaven, when we don't just receive grace, but we allow that grace to transform us to live generously. And So in a way, I think, We move from grace to generosity. God's grace assures us that things will be okay. God's grace supports us in our doubts and our shortcomings. God's grace is a way in which we know we're not going to be defined by the mistakes we have made. But generosity helps us live beyond that because it embodies grace in all kinds of situations. It's a way in which our experience of grace compels us to act with grace. And it's the way that we take grace and put it to work in the world. And I think that's what Jesus does with his disciples. He shows that by abundantly loving and forgiving his disciples, by meeting them in the upper room and offering them first peace, not what happened? we see that he teaches us the way to exude generosity. And that's a step maybe even beyond grace. To close, to give you one last picture of what it, what, what it looks like for me to think about generosity, I want to take you back to another scar you may have, a math test. Do you remember math tests from growing up? Surely you haven't blocked every single one of them out of your minds. 
But if your math classes were anything like mine, there were a handful of questions on the test to, to, to challenge you with concepts, and then there was always a bonus question or two, an extra credit question or two. I always did okay on the regular part of the math test. That's the part where they test you on the concepts. And you had two, one or two or three questions on you know, each page, from, derived from each page of your textbook for that chapter. Those were the first hundred points of your test. But then there was always that bonus question. That one that, that took the concepts that you were tested on and challenged you to use them in a way that was just beyond what you had been taught. But if you, if you were astute, if you were careful, you could figure out how to do it. You could figure out how to apply the basic concepts from the test to that bonus question. For me, that's... Well, the test is the, 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 the test of grade. That's the first hundred points. Are you getting these things right? Living with grace. But, but applied grace is that bonus question. It's living generously. It's abundantly experiencing more than we could ask or imagine. Generosity is applying grace. And it's not a chore. It's a privilege. It's a gift. Because it's a better way of experiencing God around us. And it's the best way for those around us to experience God also. And so today, go back to that locked upper room. Go back to that locked upper room and consider, what would you have said to those disciples? Maybe you would have said, what gives, guys? Where were you? Maybe you would have just said, fine, it's fine, forget it, let's move on. But maybe, just maybe, we can live our lives in a way that help us get to the point where in situations like that, we can experience and exude peace and grace because we understand generosity and we see how Jesus has embodied generosity in a way that shaped his life and in a way that has shaped the world even still today. I pray that we might be disciples that help shape the world the way that he has on earth and the way he does in heaven. And I pray that we can start that today. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day that we have and have had. We give you thanks for all that lies ahead and for the ways that you will meet us and provide steps for us in the moments even that lie ahead. Lord, I pray that this, these words about grace and generosity would lay on our hearts in such ways that we might experience and exude your love to others who need it. Lord, help us to understand and embrace what it means to live generously so that we might be a part of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we might help others to experience that as well. Loving God, give us grace-filled, generous hearts that we can share 
with one another and with the world. This is our prayer and we offer it to you in the name of your risen son, Jesus Christ, our Lord today. Amen.